that little lead-in video isn't quite fair. It kind of makes us all want to be on the beach, doesn't it? Just uh, kicking back, toes in the sand, and uh, maybe listen to some questions that Jesus asks. And so today we are starting a new series, one that we've been looking forward to that's going to lead us right into Easter, a series called Questions That Jesus Asks. Now, like the first followers, I think when we think about Jesus and what we would do when we come and see Jesus, sometimes I think we think about the questions that we would ask him, right? Think about, these are the questions that I have for Jesus. But in this series, we want to look at the other side of it. We want to say, what are the questions that Jesus is actually asking of his disciples? Questions that make us pause. Questions that make us wrestle through some things, but questions that make us grow. Now, I didn't do the counting of this, but uh, as I've kind of looked into this, it says that in Scripture, as people have looked at the stories of Jesus, at least the ones that we have recorded in the Scripture, Jesus is really not the answer man. And many times people have did come and asked Jesus some questions, but he's really not the answer man. It says he was asked 183 questions, and yet, you know how many of those direct questions he answered of 183? It says somewhere between three and eight, depending on how people measure the criteria, of whether or not he actually directly answered that question. It seems kind of frustrating, isn't it? You've got questions for Jesus. People are asking Jesus questions, but he doesn't, doesn't answer them directly. Maybe he tells a story. Or he does what a lot of good teachers do. They ask another question. And so 183 questions asked of Jesus, less than 10 answered directly. But you know what? He was the master at asking questions. Scripture records, get this, 307 questions that Jesus asked of others. Interesting, isn't it? He's the one asking the questions. Well, I want answers to my questions. I'd rather be the one answering or, you know, asking and having the answers. But answers given to us are nice. But really, the discovering and the growing and the seeking comes when good questions are asked of us. And Jesus understood that instead of just giving us easy answers to questions that we have, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing here in this church, in this place? What are you doing with staff and leading us in new places? And what does the future hold? We ask all these questions. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to give you easy answers because I want you to wrestle through to the answer to discover something and what happens in that process. And so he asks us hard questions, questions that cause us to change and to grow. And there's just such power in a good, well-timed question, isn't there? If any of you have ever gone to a counselor, you know the power of a good question. Or maybe you have a close friend that asks you a good question. You're asking for advice, and the friend says, I'm not sure. What do you think? Kind of a frustrating response sometimes. Well, that's why I'm asking you. Just tell me what to do. What should I do? Should I take that job? Should I buy that house? Should I study this program? Should I marry that person? Should I date them? Whatever these questions are, tell me. And they say, well, what do you think about that? And then we start reflecting and and going deeper. But a good, simple question causes us to wrestle, to think, and to learn. But good questions, and I think Jesus understood this too, is they draw us into relationship. Good questions create intimacy. When a good question is asked, it allows for follow-up. And if you've ever met with somebody, and, and typically if you have a good friend, you're only going to be good friends for a long time if they don't constantly talk the whole time telling you only about their life and never asking you about yours, right? And good questions create that relationship. And so in this series, we look at what's Jesus trying to do through these questions. He's drawing us in to relationship and helping us to face these questions and watch us grow through that. So in this series, we're going to grab a few of the powerful questions that Jesus asks and that he's still asking us today. That's, those are questions that we still need to wrestle with. For example, what do you want me to do for you? That's a question Jesus asked. And you kind of go, wow, that's 
Kind of cool. We'll talk about that one week. Why do you worry? I think that's one that a lot of us are going to want to come and hear. And Jesus is asking us, why do you worry? What, who do people say I am? Who are you looking for? These are just some of the questions that we're going to be looking at. But the question that we're going to be looking at today stands at the very center of our faith. It stands at the heart of following Jesus. And, and if you've ever wrestled with your faith, you've wrestled with this question. If you've ever doubted God's presence in your life, you've wrestled with this question. If right now you can't make sense of some things, you've probably wrestled with this question. If you're in a difficult time and there's struggles and there's challenges and chaos surrounds you, or you're afraid or you've lost sight of Jesus, you've wrestled with this question. It's a question that I actually think stands at the center of our humanity and dealing with faith. And you know what that question is? This is the question that Jesus asks. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? Let's pray, and then we'll jump into our text this morning that unpacks this passage where Jesus is talking about this question. Heavenly Father, as we come to you with many questions, many questions even this morning, questions we have from this week, questions about what you're doing and, and, and what our life looks like today, God, we want to listen to the questions you're asking us and allow those to, to dig deeper into our soul. And Father, today, as we wrestle with doubt and fear and uncertainty, God, help us to dive a little deeper into this probing question that draws us into relationship with you. Open our hearts, open our ears to what you have to say. Amen. Have you guys ever dealt with doubt? Come on, let's fess up. Who's dealt with doubt before? We're in church, and you can actually admit that you have doubt because that's what brings us together. Doubt brings us together in some ways because it's through doubt that we are looking for hope. We're looking for answers. We're looking for faith in who Jesus is. I, as your pastor, experience doubt. I remember even my first uh, calling into ministry where I was wrestling with going into ministry, and I was at Bible school after I'd been in college and, and really preparing for what's next and, and thinking about this call into ministry. And I remember talking to some of my, my, my colleagues, my classmates, and saying, you know what I really struggle with, but I'm struggling with my faith right now. I'm doubting God. I mean, is he real? Because if I'm going to put my life on this, if I'm going to stake my life on this, how do I know? How can I have certainty? How can I deal with that? And so wrestling through doubt, even at that stage. I remember another season of doubt in my life when we were called to plant a church, and we left the church that we were at and had done great ministry there for many years, and we moved to Arizona in 2006. And we moved out here with high hopes, following God's plan for our life, one of these deals where it's like, God, we're putting it all on the line for you. We're leaving everything behind. We're, we're going to step out into the unknown. And we stepped out into the unknown, and we put our house up on the market, back in Indiana, and it didn't sell. God, we're giving our lives to you. Our house didn't sell one month, two months, three months. We had to rent a house here. Now we're having two payments, right? Two utility bills and rent and mortgage. But God, we're following you. 18 months long, the house didn't sell. And we're wrestling with God going, God, do you really know what you're doing? Because it's affecting our pocketbook. And then God answered in miraculous fashion and gave us a house in Phoenix in the fast-growing area in 2007. At the time, we thought that was an amazing answer to God, and we thanked him for it. And then for the next eight years, we were underwater, and we're going, God, do you know what you're doing? See, so in different areas of our lives, we feel doubt. I remember when, when we were feeling our call at our last church coming to a point where we felt like we've done what God has called us to do in that place. 
and we had a sense that God was leading us to something else, but we weren't sure what, and we weren't just going to rush into something. So we waited patiently, and we thought maybe this would be a couple of months process. It ended up taking almost two years of listening to God, waiting to God, and then the amazing opportunity when we got together with the church here and just felt like, God, this is what you've prepared for us. But sitting in those two years of asking and wrestling and sometimes wondering and doubting, God, what is your plan for our life? I remember dealing with doubt a few years back when we got the news, tragically, that um, our, our friends who are a couple that were missionaries in Paraguay had just adopted a young girl, and they have, had a young son, where they got into an accident, a terrible accident, instantly killed Julie, his wife, and instantly killed their son. And so our friend was left with his newly adopted daughter, and then we come to find out that Julie was also pregnant. And you just sit back, and you go, God, people serving you, giving their lives for you, adopting a child, and, and giving everything, and, and, and how, how can that happen? Doubt creeps into our lives. And I sometimes think to myself, man, I have so little faith, wondering what God does. And, and as I hear some of your stories, and yesterday somebody telling me a, a story that uh, they're older now, but remembering back years ago when, uh, when she was younger and in her 20s, young, newly married, three children. The youngest was a year and a half when her husband died from several years of complications through diabetes. And she said at the time, just doubting wrestling, questioning with God. What are you doing? Do you know what you're doing, God? Is it God that I'm doubting, or is it my own understanding of who God is? And these times can be so difficult, and we wrestle with that in our faith. And so today, as we look at a story where Jesus asked this question, why did you doubt me? This question actually comes at the end of the story, and an end of a story where Jesus is with his disciples. So let me just set this context for you of the story that we're going to find in Matthew chapter 14. It actually begins in chapter 14, where Jesus had fed the 5,000. And this miraculous feeding, the disciples were there. Remember, if you do, there was not enough bread, there's not enough food, and a boy brings some fish and loaves, and Jesus multiplies it. 5,000 are fed, and there's 12 baskets left over. Miraculous story. Can you imagine being one of the disciples? You're kind of riding high. We just saw Jesus do the unbelievable, the miraculous. After that happens, Jesus says to his disciples, um, I want you guys to go in the boat, cross the sea to the other side. I'm going to stay back a little bit. And he goes up in the mountains to pray alone, just taking some alone time. But the, Jesus, the, the disciples are following the instructions that Jesus gave them. They're going where he told them to go. And this is where we pick up the story. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 24 to 27. So picture yourselves now. You're the disciples. These are rugged fishermen. They've, this is what they've done for a living. And, and they're, they're not, uh, you know, uh, they're used to this environment. And here's what it says. Meanwhile, the disciples, meanwhile, while Jesus was off praying, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. We got ghost stories in the Bible. <laughs> The disciples here, these rugged fishermen who, who've been in this environment before, are terrified. Wind and waves and storms and tossing them about, gripped with fear. It's late at night. They don't have all the modern technologies and GPS and, 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 and ship stabilizers and whatnot. It's them on a boat at 3 a.m. And what is it about the scariest times in our lives often coming at night? 
What is it about the dark that amplifies our fears? What is it about the nighttime that just makes us go crazy in our head? Anyone with me here where you're at night and if you wake up and your mind starts going and you start processing things and things at night just seem worse, don't they? We never grow out of that sometimes as kids, right? Kids at night, everything is scarier. I got to close the closet door every night for our girls because something's lingering there. And here we are as adults and these are fishermen. They're in a situation that's scary in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, they have no bearings, tossed about, things are dark, and things are scary. And then you can imagine, one of them says, well, did, did, you just, did anyone else just see what I just saw? Because if you did, I'm freaking out, right? They were freaking out. I think I just saw a ghost. Did you see a ghost? Was that Jesus? I don't know. They couldn't tell who it was. It was some figure out there. And again, they're struggling in the situation. It says they were terrified. And they scream, it's a ghost. But what we know from the story, it's Jesus who's there, and he's come to them. Now, now this may be enough of a hurdle just alone here if you're struggling with, with faith, you're struggling with the Bible, and you go, here we are at church, and you're talking about Jesus walking on water. A man walking on water. Now, I'm a pastor. I've been around the church for a long time. I struggle with understanding how Jesus walked on water because you know what? I've never seen anyone walk on water before. I've tried even though my wife thinks I do. I don't walk on water. <laughs> don't laugh. It's not that easy, let me tell you. No. <laughs> it's, we can't do it. I've never seen it. And so we even struggle in our own wrestling with this, this physical thing. But the disciples, again, just had seen the, the feeding of the 5,000, and now they're seeing Jesus out there in the dark. And what we need to know is in the midst of our struggles, even if we don't see it and we don't know what's going on, Jesus is there. And he's coming, and he's actually walking towards them. Sometimes we feel like Jesus is running away. Jesus is actually coming towards them. He is not distant in our struggle. And then Jesus speaks these wonderful words in verse 27. He says, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. And you can just imagine the waves billowing about and the storm and all these things. And these words of Jesus just come in such a maybe calm way. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. This is the center point of the story. This is where, where Jesus makes himself known and where the disciples see him. And he, he speaks with such confidence and such encouragement. And, and the disciples probably listening into that voice that they heard from him. And they take comfort and courage. But at the same time, you know what's still going on? The storm. This wasn't like the other story that maybe we've read and, know, and you know from Scripture where Jesus comes over and he's, oh, he's asleep in the boat, right? And he just calms the wind and the waves and everything calms down. And maybe they're going, Jesus, can you do that again? You did that before, just calm it down. He's not calming it down, but in the middle of the storm, he's saying, take courage, I am here. When daddy's there, when a loving father is there for his kids, things change. Just this last week, two different nights, two of my girls came up to me once, dad, can you just come? I can't fall asleep, can you just come? And so I walked her back to bed and sat next to her bed and just sang to her a little bit, and she was out in like a minute. The same things that were stirring, the same things that were bothering her, the thing that she was so upset about, she was upset about because the tooth fairy took the tooth, left money, and didn't leave the tooth. I'm like, that's how it works. And she's like, you got money. Why are you so upset? You, you don't need the tooth. Anyway, see, little things we deal with, right? But tragedy, major crisis in the life of a small kid. And all it took was daddy to be there. The other night, my older daughter came. Same thing, and all I did was just sit down inside of her bed and hold her arm and kind of stroke her arm a little bit, and she was out in a couple seconds. When the presence of our Heavenly Father is in those situations, we can take courage 
we can take comfort. But here's the thing, what I find so interesting in this phrase where it says, take courage, I am here. See, when, when Matthew wrote this to the first century listeners, to the Jewish people that he was writing to, they would have heard something very different in that moment when they heard that Jesus said, I am here. Because another way that it is in the Greek in the, in the manuscripts that we have is actually it says, the I am is here. The I am is here. Now, maybe this, uh, this rings in your, in your head if you're familiar with the Old Testament where Moses is being called by God, the burning bush. God is speaking to him to go, and, to, go to Pharaoh and to ask for the, the, the Israelites to be released. And he says, who should I tell him sent me? And God says, tell him I am sent you. God refers to himself as I am, this ever being, this always present, not past tense, not future tense, not present tense, always tense. I am. He is here. And so in that moment, when Jesus speaks, take courage, the I am is here. In the middle of the challenge, in the middle of the struggles, in the middle of the uncertainties, Jesus is saying when everything else is tossing about, when everything else in your life seems to be swaying about, there is a steady anchor. We talked about foundations last week. And I am, the same I am that spoke to Moses was speaking there to the disciples, and he's speaking to us today. He is here, and we can count on that. I am is here. Now, wouldn't this be nice if that was the end of the story? The storm was there, and Jesus comes, and he's here, and all is good. But that's not the end of the story. This is where it gets really interesting. This is where I think we can really begin to maybe relate to the story, because now enter Peter, Peter, who's always running headlong into everything. Peter, one of you know, his main disciples, and just has this, this zeal about him. Here's what it says in 28, verse 29. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I mean, here's Peter. He is pumped up. You know why? Because he just saw Jesus feed 5,000 people. And then Jesus says, like, this is, if that's Jesus walking on water, I've never seen this. His faith in some ways just seems to be riding high right now. So much so that he's saying, if that's really you, Jesus, then I will just defy any kind of logic, everything I've known in my life, and I'm going to step out into the unknown. I'm going to step out into what's impossible because if it's you, then I'm going to do it. Oh, man, to have the faith of Peter to be that much of a giant in the faith, to be able to say, I'm coming, Jesus. If it's you, just say the word, and I'm there. Well, what has Jesus said? Yes, come, Jesus said. So simple, right? Okay, I love it. Jesus is going, if you've got that kind of faith, then come, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Now, wouldn't that be a great place to end the story? Right, that's where it would be the best place to end the story. If you have the amazing faith of Peter, you too can walk on water. You can do anything that you put your heart and mind to that Jesus is calling you to do. When Jesus says, come, you go, you can walk on water. And Peter, as far as I can understand, one of the only human beings, the only non-Jesus beings that actually took some steps on water. Remember, the storm is still going. Things are crazy. It's chaos. But, but Peter's walking on water. And you think, man, what, what faith does he have? But I'm so thankful that the story continues because otherwise I'd feel about this big of a spiritual giant after reading that story. The story goes on in verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately grabbed him. All right, now I can relate to Peter a little bit more, right? Now, okay, now it makes a little more sense. 
Because this is so natural for us to see the things around us, what's tossing us about, the challenges and the problems and the things that are all around and trying to get some stability is so difficult. And so we're looking at everything and all, everything around us and trying to figure out what to do. Now, good, I've never walked on water, but I was taught briefly how to ride a hoverboard. You know those, those little fireballs that people have in their homes, those little explosive devices with wheels? Yeah, those. Um, after our church picnic, uh, Dean Bloxham, uh, they, they had one out there, and so he said, come on, I'm going to teach you. He was, t- he was teaching somebody. I thought, wow, this is the closest thing I'm ever going to come to walking on water, so let's try this. And, uh, and it was one of those things, though, where, where you really have to kind of keep your focus, try to keep your balance, because you've seen all those videos on TV, the YouTube videos. I mean, people just wiping out and falling. This is an in- unstable thing, but I remember Dean just kept saying, just keep focus. And he's walking next to me, and he's holding me on the shoulder, and he's saying, just keep your balance, and he's just keeping focused. And, and thank goodness I didn't fall. I didn't have to have, Dean, save me. But he would have reached out and saved me. I'm confident of that. Um, But, you know, we're in these moments, and it's so easy when everything is about, where do you find that stability? Where do you find that focus? And and Peter lost his focus on Christ. He began to see the troubles around us. And isn't that just like us? Those troubles, those waves, those things, the chaos around us are just smacking us in the face. Fear, what's going to happen? God, what are you going to do? How are you working in my life? And we doubt. And this is where the doubt creeps in. I mean, Peter had such faith, such confidence, but in just a matter of a split second, doubt set in going, this can't be possible. This can't be happening. The waves are going to drown me. And it was done. But then Peter just has this wonderful human reaction. Save me, Lord. Lord, save me. I mean, when all else fails, when you're going down, when everything's difficult, he yells these words out, save me. And immediately, Jesus reaches out. And where did Jesus reach out? While he's standing in the water, from that place of faith, from that place of the impossible, Jesus reaches out and saves him. But then as we continue in in the, in the story, Jesus then at this moment, he reaches out and saves Peter, and then he asks him this question that we have today. But first he says this in verse 31. He says, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Have so little faith. Now, maybe if you have a bad impression of Jesus, you think he's out there scolding Peter. Peter, you nincompoop, you have such little faith, you know? What could you do if you had faith? Why did you doubt me? But I don't think that's the tone that Jesus had. That's not how I understand Jesus. I understand in that moment where he's saving Peter, and maybe they're even taking a few steps back to the boat, and he's got his arms around him. He's just kind of shaking his head a little bit, maybe a smirk on his face, thinking, Peter, you did just walk on water, but man, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Come on, let's get in the boat. And he asked this question. Now, he wasn't asking Peter to explain, well, let me tell you, Jesus, uh, this is why I had faith. Because you see these winds and these waves, and no human being has ever walked on water before? That's Jesus. That's why I doubted. That's why I struggled. Jesus wasn't looking for an answer. But he just wanted Peter, I think, to begin to digest what's going on there. Man, what's possible if I would have my faith and my hope and my trust in Christ? What could God do in my life? How could Jesus move in my life? And that question is still being asked of us. And and again, what I love about this is is it wasn't Peter's great faith that saved him. Jesus didn't say, I'm only going to save you if you have great faith. Actually, it was in the midst of his doubt. When he struggled and when he was going down and when he was sinking, when he called out, he, he expressed his faith in simply saying, Lord, save me. And it was in that moment that Jesus rescued him and grabbed him. 
You know, Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses 8 to 9, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. It's God's grace that saves you. In that moment, just not having all the answers, not having it all figured out, not having every I dotted and T crossed and going, now I can believe. It's in a moment when we cry out to God and we say, there's got to be more. I need you, Lord. It's his grace that comes in and saves you. And you can't take credit for this, it says. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast. It is precisely in our doubt and in our struggle that we can experience God in powerful ways. And so that very thing that maybe some of us are wrestling with and saying, it's because of my doubt that I can't believe God and that I'm struggling, God uses that very thing to birth in us a faith and an understanding of grace so that our eyes can be opened. And that's always how it works with faith. That faith, that's always the inverse way the kingdom of God works. It's trust in me, believe in me, call out to me, and then your eyes will be open to see through the eyes of faith. In verse 32, as the story continues, it says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. You see, it's when we go through that struggle, it's when we go through that difficulty that we can really come to the other side of that and be able to say, you really are the Son of God. You really are the I am that is here. And we begin to have that anchor and we have that rock in our lives that we can base our lives on and that we can build on. So Jesus just asked, why did you doubt me? Now, we might think of this question as simply, Gene, why do you doubt? But Jesus doesn't ask, why do you doubt? He actually asked, why did you doubt? Notice he doesn't ask Peter in the midst of it. He asks him on the other side of it. In past tense, why did you doubt? Because he's having him look back and say, once you look back on what God has done, now you can begin to see his presence. And he didn't just say, why did you doubt things in general? He said, why did you doubt me? And that's where we have to understand who Christ is. And when we put our hope and our faith and our trust in him, we don't have to doubt the great I am that is with us. What questions do you have? What struggles do you have right now? Where do you have a hard time seeing God's hand in your life? Where are the wind and the waves tossing you about, churning you about, making you lose that focus? Or maybe you're burning hot with faith and passion in what God has done, and you're just riding high, and you're ready to step out of the boat. You're walking on water. God is there. The I am is with you. And Jesus invites us into these questions just to say, look, I'm here. I love you. Why did you doubt me? I just want to end with this quote from a poet named Rainer Rilke. He writes this about just questions and the unresolved things in our lives. He says, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart. And try to love the questions themselves. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Those questions exist. Jesus asks us those questions, but when we live alongside of him, and when we allow for that wrestling, and we look for his presence, he makes himself known to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, maybe we are experiencing doubt this morning. I know that there is struggle, and that there's pain, and there's challenge in this place. 
God, as we as a church continue to look at our future and what you have for us and what you're doing in this place and how you're leading and guiding and changing and, and moving among us, Father, help us to keep our eyes on you, to listen to your voice that says, take courage, I'm here, come to me. Experience what you've never experienced before. There's a life beyond what you know in that boat. There's a life of faith that can fill you in amazing ways. Father, may we be people of even little faith, enough faith to reach out and to call out to you and to watch you answer. We love you, Lord. Guide us, lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.